good day and welcome to the EPIC broadcast, the official podcast of the Parental Rights Foundation. EPIC, E-P-P-C, stands for Empowering Parents, Protecting Children, because that's what we're all about. Well, greetings to all of our listeners from Sea to Shining Sea. My name is Will Estrada. I'm the president of the Parental Rights Foundation, and it's so good to have you on our podcast today. My guest today is Frank Garrison. He's an attorney at the Pacific Legal Foundation. The Pacific Legal Foundation fights to protect private property rights and uphold the Constitution's separation of powers. Frank was inspired to become a constitutional litigator in law school when he read Professor Randy Barnett's book, Restoring the Lost Constitution, which describes how the Supreme Court during the New Deal eviscerated the U.S. Constitution's protection of private property rights and all but abandoned the Constitution's separation of powers. Frank decided from that moment to dedicate his career to restoring the Constitution's protections of individual freedom. His commitment to constitutional rights led him to a clerkship with the Pacific Legal Foundation after law school, where he discovered his passion for litigating environmental law cases. During his time at PLF, Frank saw firsthand how federal administrative agencies use broad delegations and environmental statutes like the Endangered Species Act and the Clean Water Act to invade people's property rights. Frank then worked as a legal associate at the Cato Institute's Center for Constitutional Studies. He authored numerous amicus curiae briefs before the U.S. Supreme Court. He then defended the individual rights of employees as a staff attorney with the National Right to Work Legal Defense Foundation. And then he returned to PLF because it is the nation's most relentless organization fighting against unconstitutional government overreach. Frank is a Hoosier. He was born on a small farm in Indiana. He earned his undergrad degree from Indiana University. He also obtained a JD from St. Thomas University College of Law and an LLM in in, in environmental law from American University's Washington College of Law. When he's not fighting for liberty, Frank enjoys watching and playing sports, reading, traveling, and listening to the Grateful Dead. Frank, thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, Thank you for having me, Will. Uh, Well, Frank, I wanted to talk with you about the litigation that you're involved in. Uh, The Goldwater Institute is also part of this um, litigation, but it's in Arizona, and it's related to CPS agencies and their central registries of abuse and neglect. This is an interest of – this is an issue of high interest to our listeners and to our organization. And so can you tell us about this case, the Sarah L. case, and, uh, and why your organization got involved in it? Right. So, Sarah, in Thanksgiving of 2020, uh, it was during the COVID-19 pandemic, um, she was going to the grocery store. And because the pandemic, uh, the grocery store had limited the amount of people who could go into the store. So Sarah had brought along uh, her son and one of his friends. And, you know, instead of trying to bring bring them in the store where the grocery store might you know, bulk at having kids running around with the pandemic raging. She went uh, and left the kids at a local park. Now, she didn't leave them alone. Uh, She saw one of her friends there that was teaching a Tai Chi class. And so she knew that they were, you know, there was some supervision around. And she had grown up and played in that park as a kid. and She knew it was safe. So she leaves them. She goes to the grocery store and doing her shopping and while she's shopping she gets a phone call from her friend and her friend tells her 
hey, the police are here uh, and they're asking questions, uh, you know, to the kids and whatnot. And she rushed back to the park. And when she got there, uh, the police arrested her for uh, for not supervising her children. Um, eventually, the police and the prosecutors dropped those charges. So they uh, I think she had to do a class, uh, but the charges went away. But the Department of Child Services came along and did their own investigation and decided that they were going to bring their own neglect charges against Sarah. Now, when DCS brings one of those charges, it investigates, and then DCS itself determines that it's going to not only investigate, but then they're going to charge a person like Sarah and then adjudicate a person like Sarah. So that's what happened. DCS picked it up and uh, they went through, they investigated, they uh, uh, brought an adjudication against her. And after a hearing, they adjudicated her. They found probable cause that she had neglected her child. So we got involved uh, after she had her hearing. Uh, I, let me back up. Now, once they find that you have, that there's probable cause that you've neglected your child, they put you on what's called the central registry. Now that's kind of a blacklist. You know, you go on there with sex offenders and, and you know, other people that have been found to uh, have abused children. And, you know, you're basically blackballed from working for any organization that has public funding, stuff like that. And Sarah L works with refugees and she works with refugee children which, you know, if she's placed on this registry, then it's going to be a really big deal for her. It's going to be cause a lot of harm to her. Uh, it's threatening her career, uh, all kinds of other stuff. So she went through this process. They adjudicated her. Uh, they found uh, what's called a substantiated finding that she had neglected her child uh, based on probable cause. And we got involved because that's just not how our, our legal system is supposed to work. Um, probable cause is what they use to, uh, you know, arrest somebody at the beginning of a case, but it's nowhere in our legal system, you know, is it really the, the amount of proof needed to adjudicate somebody, like actually have find somebody has actually done something. You know, in a criminal case, that's reasonable doubt which is a very high level, you know, it's a very high burden for the state to prove that you've actually done something wrong. Um, and then in a civil case, it's preponderance of evidence. So, you know, that's, you know, it's a little bit lower than reasonable doubt, but it's still up there. You, you know, the, um, in, a, in a civil case, somebody's got to prove, you know, got to provide a lot of evidence that you've done something wrong. But the probable cause standard that DCS uses is very low. It's, it's basically just, you know, it's, it's, I, I don't even really know how to describe it other than uh, it's, they have a reasonable belief that you did something, right? So it's very low standard. Proof. And so we got involved uh, for that reason. Plus, uh, you know, she was never afforded a jury trial. She's never had her case in front of an actual court. Uh, you know, she doesn't have the the procedures, the evidentiary procedures that a, a court actually has. Uh, she never got that in the administrative hearing. Um, and, you know, that's causes serious due process problems. So that's why we got involved. Uh, you know, 
under our, our constitutional system, administrative agencies that are in the executive branch of government, they, they can't be investigators, adjudicators, uh, you know, they're basically acting as uh, judge, jury, and executioner all, all in one. So uh, we felt that Sarah's uh, rights have been violated by this uh, process, and so that's why we got involved. Frank, you talked about the uh, the standard of evidence here um, that that this was this finding and and Sarah being placed on the central registry um, is based on probable cause and um, you know criminal is reasonable doubt civil preponderance of evidence and so this really is an issue of how if administrative agencies can do this this would this could potentially end her livelihood and uh, it's it's a due process issue um can you talk about how and, and you mentioned this how the central registries of abuse and neglect you're on the list with people who have have been convicted of for example like child rape and just horrific crimes and then here's a mom who's never done anything wrong and she's she's making reasonable decisions for her kids um an administrative agency doesn't like it and now she's placed on that list with child abusers and she could she could lose her job and again as you said there's never been a a, a jury trial or the standard of evidence used I think sometimes our listeners hear this and they're like, no, this can't happen in America, but yet this happened to this mom. And, and what, I know you've, you've worked with her. What's kind of going through her head at this time um, before she, before she had you to, to represent her and fight for her. What's this do to a person? Well, I mean, you know, she worked, like I said, she works with refugees and she works with children, uh, refugee children. And she, you know, she was very, very worried that she was not going to be able, this is her calling in life. And she was very worried by being placed on that central registry uh, that she was no longer going to be able to get, engage in, you know, her life's calling. Uh, she was very worried about, it. you know, she's a responsible mom. She doesn't believe in helicopter parenting, uh, you know, where you have to be watching your kid all the time. Uh, and, you know, this is, she feels it's a basic assault on her freedom and that is threatening her livelihood. I will say, and we, you know, you may have wanted to get to this later, but I will say that we had a, what's called a motion for stay hearing recently. Yeah, let's um, definitely talk about that. So the case was filed. You're involved. Um, we've we've heard from our friends over over at Goldwater Institute as well. They're involved. And then you had that that hearing. So tell us what happened. Well, why don't you actually tell us what that hearing was about and then what happened? So when we first filed our motion for stay, uh, we didn't know whether DCA, DCS had actually placed her name on the registry yet. Um, we found out after we filed that motion that three days after they their, their final decision that uh, based on probable cause that she had uh, neglected her children three days they, the amount of time they waited to place her on the central registry so when we went in for our hearing we had originally told them you know if her name is uh, you know we wanted to prevent them from putting her name on there at all but that if her name was on there which we found out later that it was that they needed to take it off so we go into the hearing and the judge, you know, he are one of our arguments is that that probable cause standard is too low and that that violates your due process rights under the Arizona and United States Constitution. You cannot have the government taking away your liberties uh, based on a probable cause standard. Um, and, you know, like I said, like you said, this is, you know, it potentially is going to cost her her livelihood. Um, 
all kinds of employment opportunities, whatnot. So we went in there and the judge, you know, he agreed with us. He, he said that we have a colorable claim that uh, the probable cause standard used to adjudicate people in these hearings uh, violates due process of law. And he ordered the DCS to take her name off the central registry. So that's a big win at the beginning of the case. That's not the final word on it. Uh, basically, when you go in for a motion to, to stay, it's basically restoring the status quo ante, which is, you know, just putting everybody back in, into the place where they would have been, um, you know, if not for the adjudication. So they ordered them, uh, DCS to take her name off the registry. So for now, she's, uh, you know, she's not suffering that injury, but the case still has to move forward. And uh, that's not the final word on anything, but a big victory for now for Sarah. Well, Frank, that is a big win for you, for your client, for Pacific Legal Foundation, uh, for our podcast listeners. Last week, you heard from Goldwater Institute, and this was prior. That was recorded prior to this this hearing that Frank is talking about. So, uh, so this is a big win from what you heard in last week's podcast as we were talking to those attorneys. Frank, before I before I ask you, you know, what's next with this little lawsuit, I do want to ask you about what the attorneys for Arizona and for um, you know the agency are saying. Are they making the argument in court that they, as as a, a government agency, as essentially bureaucrats, should have the right to place someone on a central registry under the probable cause standard? Is is that the argument that they're making in court? Yeah, uh, you know, when we went in for the motion for stay hearing, uh, basically the the government's argument was that she got a fair hearing, and because she got a fair hearing, uh, that the probable cause standard is okay, uh, which you know kind of doesn't make any sense. But uh, uh, but yeah, I mean that's that from the government's perspective, you know, they are giving her a hearing, and they're allowing her to present evidence. And, you know, probable cause is okay. And as long as they're giving her those uh, procedural rights, uh, you know, air quotes for procedural rights, that this is all on the up and up. Uh, but, you know, we push back that, no, in our country, you have a right to a jury that actually determines what the facts in a case are. You don't have an administrative law judge who's part of the same branch of government as DCS, right? I mean, these are all part of the same group. And so you have a, a right to a jury to determine those facts, and you have a right to a neutral arbiter, an actual judge in an actual court that's going to weigh those facts against the law. And you know, you ha have to have those procedural protections in place for anything to be fair. If you don't have an actual jury de determining facts, if you don't have an actual judge, uh, you know, overseeing the hearing, then it's you just can't get a fair process because everybody is on the same side at DCS and in the executive branch of the Arizona government. Um, so. You know, their argument that, that they're giving her all the process is, that's due is, is disingenuous, especially under our, the constitutional principles uh, that we live under in America. You know, Frank, I'm so glad you mentioned that. And this is this 
kind of philosophy that that government officials, particularly in the child welfare services and CPS investigations, it's not limited to Arizona. Um, our friends over at Community Legal Services of Philadelphia, they have a lawsuit right now against Pennsylvania, the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania, over Pennsylvania's central registry and the same sort of issue. If there's violations of due processes, people are being placed on the central registry. And we've had the attorneys there speak on this. You're involved in this in Arizona. In Oklahoma, our organization is currently representing a mom and dad who've been accused of medical neglect, and Oklahoma won't even share with the parents any evidence or, or their findings that they have in this, and so we've got an appeal right now pending with the administrative agency, uh, but there's actually nothing in Oklahoma law that allows the family to then go to a judge or go to a court if the agency uh, rules against them. So, so stay tuned. There might be litigation and opportunities for you guys to to work with us too. Um, if the administrative agency doesn't doesn't approve this, we've also worked with organizations like the American Legislative Exchange Council to try and draft model legislation to put more due process protections in before families are before parents caregivers are placed on these central registries. Because so this this is not something that's unique to Arizona, but I'm so grateful that you and PLF are are suing uh, the state of Arizona to try and protect these due process rights for families and for caregivers. Because I think it really is it's 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 so crucial of of what sort of government are we going to have? What sort of protections are we going to have? Are we going to really follow the protections in state in the in the U.S. Constitution? What's next in this in this litigation? Uh, so. We have two motion, two more motion hearings coming up. As soon as we get the full record from below, which uh, we haven't got the whole thing yet, uh, but as soon as we get that full record, we are going to uh, determine whether we want to try and supplement the record uh, and basically get some more facts into the case. Um, you know, there's there's a possibility that you know when you have an administrative agency doing the fact finding, that some things got left out. So we may consider filing a motion to supplement that record and make sure that we get all the facts into the case. Um, and we also have a motion saying that she deserves a jury trial, that uh, you know this whole thing is unconstitutional. And unless you have a jury that is, that is the one that's determining the facts. I mean, that is, it's a foundational constitutional principle. Uh, you know, at the founding, the, the framers thought that the jury would be the one of the strongest bulwarks of liberty because you, you don't want the government having, uh, the government adjudicating its own facts, right? Because they are the ones that are bringing cases and you need somebody that's neutral, that's going to determine you know, actually what happened. Uh, and so we might uh, file a motion, you know, uh, saying, hey, you need to wipe this all away. She needs to start anew. Uh, the government needs to start anew and Sarah needs to have a jury trial. Um, so those are the two things that are coming up next. And then we'll have our briefing on uh, our other issues. Uh, we have separation of powers issues in the case. Um, you know, one of our, our claims is not only that she deserves a jury, but that she deserves a neutral arbiter, uh, an actual judge in an actual court of law that's overseeing the case. Um, and we have a couple other issues as well. So uh, those two motions, and then we're going to file our briefing, and then we'll move forward. 
Frank, can you just take a moment to talk about the separation of powers um, argument? I think some of our listeners might be a separation of powers. Where is that? But this is essentially an argument that the agency is under the executive branch and uh, the separation of powers requires that the separate branch of, of government, in this case, the state judiciary, would need to weigh in as well. Is that is that essentially what the separation of uh, powers argument is? Yeah. So, uh, you know, basically, you you can't have an administrative agency that is the you know the one investigating the case the one adjudicating the case and then the one determining uh you know determining whether somebody has actually committed a a violation of the law or not so it's james madison said it best uh um you know the the combination of the executive legislative and judicial branches into into one one group is the very definition of tyranny. So when you combine those powers together, uh, you know, you, you can't get a fair process. So our argument is, you know, the separation of powers requires that, you know, uh, that Sarah get a, uh, a day in court and that, you know, the, the executive branch, the DCS can bring these charges, but it has to be the, uh, you know, the judiciary that comes in and and actually oversees the case. Well, that is excellent, Frank. You know, I've heard uh, legislators and 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 bureaucrats sometimes tell me that, oh, you know, these parents aren't facing jail, so this is fine. You know, don't worry about this. If there's a lower standard, then it's not a big deal. And I think they forget, and and you with your litigation, you're reminding the government of this that this comes into the issue of fundamental parental rights. And yeah, even though this mom in this case are people who are put on central registries for potential for, you know, in, in the eyes of the government, maybe being neglectful parents, they're not facing jail time. They're facing loss of their parental rights. They're facing loss of their of their you know career and, and their profession and being able to provide for their families. And I think sometimes people forget that if you are on the central registry and then another CPS investigation or or allegation comes in against that parent, uh, it's going to be much. It's going to go much harder for you. They're going to look at you as like, oh, you're already on the central registry. You're more likely than not to have abused or neglected your child in future cases. So this really is just sets a very important, I, I think, framework for how we treat government and parents and caregivers. So my hat's off to you and, and PLF for this lawsuit that you are engaged in. Thanks, Frank, John. are there are there any other cases that you and PLF are working on that uh, you want to highlight for our listeners? Uh, so I will say that the uh, Philip B case was uh, another case that we had brought. Uh, it, it concerned the same types of arguments that, you know, the government can't, the Arizona uh, government can't combine uh, the executive uh, and judicial powers, you know, all in one hearing uh, to bring against somebody, to bring to bear against somebody. Um, and we had won that case in the Arizona uh, Court of Appeals. And the government decided not to appeal to the Arizona Supreme Court. So that is officially a win for uh, Pacific Legal Foundation. And, uh, uh, you know, it's related. So it, it, it basically involves the same issues about, uh, you know, the DCS uh, bringing all these powers together in one, in one adjudication and, and uh, Philip B. not getting a fair hearing. So uh, that's a big victory. 
Well, congratulations. How can our listeners find out more about the work that you and Pacific Legal Foundation are doing? Uh, you can go to our website, uh, pacificlegal.org. Uh, we have a list of uh, you know most of our cases, and it tells you about the different practice areas we have, uh, separation of powers, uh, property rights, and equality and opportunity. Uh, so we have a lot of cases fighting back against government overreach, and uh, you can find stuff there. Well, Frank, that is excellent. We want to have you back on as this case progresses and you have more updates, so stay in touch with us on this. Okay, thanks, Will. Thank you, Frank. My guest today, Frank Garrison, attorney at the Pacific Legal Foundation on the litigation that they're engaged in to defend caregivers and parents in Arizona from being placed on the central registry of abuse and neglect without due process. Thank you, Frank, and thanks for all you're doing. Have a good day. You have been listening to the Epic Broadcast, the official podcast of the Parental Rights Foundation. You can find this and all our episodes at parentalrightsfoundation.org slash podcast or on iTunes or Spotify. If you enjoyed this episode, please share our podcast with your friends. Use the Epic hashtag with two Ps on social media or leave a review on Apple Podcasts to help others join our community. The Parental Rights Foundation is a donor-supported 501c3 dedicated to protecting children by empowering parents. To support our work, including this podcast, make a gift today at parentalrightsfoundation.org. Thank you for listening.